Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Today on Political Rewind, we're joined by Georgia Congressman Doug Collins. We'll ask him what the delay in approving emergency relief funds for Georgia farmers tells us about dysfunction in Washington, about the president's stonewalling of efforts to have administration officials testify on Capitol Hill, and his role in promoting border security, plus much more. Political Rewind starts now. It's great to have you here for Political Rewind today. Um, I'm Bill Nygut. Let's get right to work on this show. Jim Galloway is with me, of course. He's the lead political reporter for, lead political writer <laughs> for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Uh, you read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the paper. And you continue to oversee the uh, Political Insider blog, which is part of AJC.com. And you're That's back right. from? From Britain. From Britain. Yes, I, I, I left, Donald Trump came. <laughs> it was an even swap. Yeah, and as I asked you right before the show, you have not brought back with you, as some Americans do, a British accent. No, no, I left it there. Yeah, it was, good for you. <laughs> we're very happy that we're joined today by a Ninth District Congressman, Doug Collins, uh, who has, as we said in the opening of the show, you've really become a, a, a very hot commodity up there. You're in the national spotlight more than ever. Uh, at least in part because of your work on the House Judiciary Committee. But just to make sure people are, know where you are, you've got, in the 9th, you've got Hall County, you've got Dawson County. Well, 20, we got 20 counties in northeast Georgia. Uh, for the old historians in Georgia, it goes back to the old 9th District of Phil Landrum, Ed Jenkins, you know, coming through Nathandale as right. we go forward. So I stretch from Elberton all the way over to, to Fannin and down to Forsyth. Part of Athens, Clark, and then everything up. So it's, it's your, a beautiful your part. Third term in the U.S. House. Just started my fourth. Started your Just fourth. Just started my fourth. Okay, and already has to run for re-election. <laughs> <laughs> Just started my fourth, running again. Running again. Uh, we, we we do we do want to talk about the role that you're now playing as the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, and and there's some news that we can uh, talk about, which we've just gotten to see as we're getting set for this show today. But but just to give. Uh, people a little bit of the taste of the way you have uh, worked uh, to in some ways protect the president, but to make sure the Republican voice is heard on the Judiciary Committee. Let's just play a little bit of you <laughs> in one recent session uh, of the committee. Okay. We now have the reason for this hearing. It has nothing to do with the oversight of DOJ. It has everything to do, as we found out this morning in a document dump, from the Democratic side of this committee and also another committee that this is nothing more than a character assassination and we're going to also decide to see if we can just do something and get at the president while we're had the chance. We're going to have plenty of theatrics. Bring your popcorn. I'm thinking about maybe we just set up a popcorn machine in the back because that's what this is becoming. It's becoming a show. So, Congressman, I, I don't want to get into the specifics of what you were addressing at that moment, but I think it's a fair representation of the way you've uh, uh, felt you need to uh, present yourself 
and deal with what's happening in, in your concerns about judiciary. And uh, you made a statement today in which you essentially have said that you believe the Judiciary Committee is on a collision course with the rules of the House. Explain what that means. Well, it's good to be here. And I think one of the things I want to explain is sometimes you have these issues and you're, you know, we're, the roles we play is making sure that there's fairness and there's hearings. And especially when you delve off into areas that we have seen uh, on the investigation side, they say, let's, let's have a fairness here. If you want to investigate, that's fine. We'll do that. But, it, but it's got to be a, in a process in which we're not uh, leading, into, leading people where, uh, to have a false impression of what's going on. Up until this point, my chairman, Chairman Jerry Nadler, has tried to do everything he can to appear as if he's impeaching or attempting to impeach the president. He does this in the way he sets up his hearings, uh, what they've called it, how they sort of went about saying the, the witnesses they want. Next week, we're having a hearing, and this is where it really gets interesting with the rule. We can say anything we want to here, you know, sort of about if we thought about somebody. But when you're in the House, to keep a decorum, you have to have, go back to the old Jefferson Manual, the parliamentary rules. This says when we debate, and I have people talk to me about this all the time, they say, well, how can you say my good friend across the aisle or my colleague? Well, that's part of the language that we use to get across our points. What you cannot do is besmirch, demean, attempt motive to say someone did something yeah. that they can't. And that's including the President of the United States. So next week, we're having a hearing in which John Dean, the former from the Watergate right. era, mm -hmm. and others are gonna be there, and they're taking the Mueller investigation in the second part. And the whole basis, even the title of the, of the hearing, implies that the president committed obstruction. What we're reminding the chairman is, is it in no way under the, the rules of the House, unless you open an impeachment inquiry, can you say that the president actually committed obstruction or imply witnesses to say that the president broke the law and did something for political gain. So this is where it's becoming not only a concern. Chairman Nadler knows what to do. He also knows the American people are not behind that. And so between him and the speaker and others, they're having to try this dance. And we're just reminding them, Mr. You know, Chairman, you got the votes, you can do what you want to in this committee, but you're also gonna do it by the rules. There's, there's really a couple of committees where we're watching the headbutting, the real problems with comedy, with getting on the same page play out, one of them oversight, the other judiciary committee. Um, at one point in a Judiciary Committee hearing, you uh, repeated a refrain that we hear from uh, Republicans, which is uh, no collusion. Mm -hmm. The Mueller report really right. didn't find, wasn't even looking at actual collusion, but we'll let that right. go. And, that's not a crime. So. Right. And no obstruction. Mm -hmm. But the Mueller report didn't say no obstruction. It said if we thought the president hadn't committed a crime, we would have said so. Well, it's interesting. When did Bob Mueller become the you're guilty to I have to prove you innocent? That's the whole anathema to our, our political system, and really one when he went out last uh, week and gave his Comey-esque statement, here's all the problems I see, but in the end, we didn't do anything. I think what we've got to understand here is, is there was, let's don't overlook the collusion part, or the, which is they said collusion. That's for you, for two years, the Democrats all talk, collusion, collusion, collusion. Conspiracy, they didn't go to the actual crimes, but collusion. At the end of the day, it was a complete exoneration on the collusion part, which was the overriding discussion of most everybody going into the Mueller report. Obstruction and discussions of that came in later. Collusion on whose part? Uh, the, pre the Trump on administration. The yeah, on the president's part. We did have the president, the, 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 we did have the chairman of the president's campaign yes. meet with a, 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 a Ru Russian fellow with, with intelligence contacts and hand him data from, from, the, from the Trump campaign. 
And 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 Bob Mueller actually showed that in the report, and exactly. we did that. And yeah. also the a prosecutor. so somebody was colluding with somebody. Well, I think the the, the passing on again it goes into this issue of what is colluding and what it is the, the rise to the criminal activity level mm -hmm. that the uh, conspiracy or other things was going to. And Mueller complete that's the one aspect that even Democratic friends say, well, we're done with that. You know, they they still like to point to it. I mean, we had one of our chairman of our committees, Adam Schiff, say it's collusion in plain sight. This was before the report came out. Again, attesting things that were not there. But the only other side, back to the uh, other issues in this, it was a very, the second part of the Mueller report was 98.9% unredacted. And I've seen the little bit of the what's left. So it's very much out there. The president uh, allowed his uh, staff to be interviewed. We see this in the report. But I want to make it clear. When Mueller comes out and makes his pronouncement, and he says, was, well, if there was something there, we would have said so. Well, again, in the whole judicial network, there's never a time when our prosecutors are supposed to start from that you're guilty and I'm gonna find you innocent. It is the presumption in our system that you're innocent until we find something. Now, he said that he did, he relied on an OLC opinion. That was his statement from last mm -hmm. week. But I wanna take it a step further. Office of Legal Counsel. Office of Legal Counsel, Just I apologize. So people know. Office of Legal Counsel. But when it went to Bill Barr and Rod Rosenstein, which we've uh, mm -hmm. was both in this. Rod Rosenstein was an Obama appointee. Bill Barr came in, of course, just recently. They made it very clear in their statement they did not take in any opinions or anything else when they took the report from Mueller and then made their own legal analysis of will we charge or not. So, uh, again, we're getting into a point now to where, frankly, the report speaks for itself. I will agree with Bob Mueller about that. The report speaks for itself. The question is, though, it didn't say what the Democrats wanted it to say because they had been promising for two years that when this report comes out, It'll all be solved. We'll be it. We'll be there. So I think that's where we're at this point. Let me ask you: What uh, I know you're the you're the ranking Republican on 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 Judy, and just as a as an uh, outside the the uh, the kind of the, the leadership of the House there, how much of what we're seeing from Jerry Nadler is, is as far as mm -hmm. beginning to emphasize the the impeachment aspect. Mm -hmm. Is this a is this an attempt by by uh, by Nadler and other Republicans or other Democrats to consolidate all these investigations under one under under one one unit? Uh, yes, I, I believe it is, and I think what you're seeing is, is there's been a again they were out. Uh, this is interesting dynamic to play out. They were out of uh, power for eight years. They came back in, and many of these chairmen had been waiting for a long time to be chairman, and then all of a sudden this sort of got thrown in their lap, so to speak, with the 2016 election. Most of them thought it had been Hillary Clinton and that they were trying to win it back. So they, uh, Speaker Pelosi came up with this plan, and this has been really interesting. They said, we're going to coordinate all of our investigations. So they had foreign affairs, oversight, ways and means, intel. And it's really been a disaster. If you look at the last five months, um, they've accomplished very, virtually anything that would become law to a further agenda, and the investigations have went nowhere. I'll use an example, and that's why I think Chairman Nadler's trying to consolidate. When they held uh, Bill Barr in contempt, we pointed out the fact that it was way too early, way too quick, you did nothing right here, and in court you'll lose. The next week they came in and they said, well, we're going to do a hearing to sort of firm up from last week on executive privilege. My witness, Jonathan Turley, and then the other three witnesses which were called by the Democrats were asked a question by myself and by Kelly Armstrong from North Dakota and said, is the subpoena that Chairman Nadler gave to Bill Barr asking for grand jury information, uh, basically asking him to do something illegal? Every person on that panel said yes, they've asked for something mm -hmm. illegal. So I think they're, they're struggling with this. Nadler is now saying, I've got a lot on my committee. I've got a lot of Democrats who want to start an impeachment inquiry. So they can sit on that dais and say the president committed a crime. So I, and I think that's why they're trying to consolidate it. So I, I think the American people 
-hmm. like uh, members of Congress, will look at whatever portions or the entire Mueller committee, uh, uh, report that they want to, and, and they'll draw their mm -hmm. own conclusions about this, and obviously people are going to have different opinions. But here's something I think is really interesting in terms of you. Mm -hmm. um, as you said, this thing all began with a look at, was Russia interfering with the presidential election uh, on behalf of President Trump? And was there uh, some cooperation between uh, the Trump campaign and the Russians? You don't believe there was any uh, collusion, to use that word, but you believe the Russians interfered and that it deserves further investigation, and yet that seems to be getting lost in all of this debate by both your side and the Democrats. It is a little bit. And I've talked to uh, Lindsey Graham, who's of course the chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the mm -hmm. Senate, and, and we've talked about this, and I brought it in a letter to Chairman Nadler this this past week saying, okay, the one thing we, we may disagree on everything else about the Mueller report, but one thing we'll agree upon is it's foreign interference in our election, mm -hmm. and are we taking the steps need be to make sure that that doesn't happen? And Frankly, we've got no response from the chairman on this. He's not really interested in that because it doesn't play to the impeachment. Should narrative. Georgians be worried about what could happen to our elections here? I think I think any election. Look, let's also not take this in a vacuum. This, this is not the first time foreign, Russia or any other foreign country have, have actually tried to influence elections here. Mm -hmm. This is this is something that's went on over time. So I think as the election process gets. Uh, it comes up, and you know, and there's always the question of how do you do it and how do you conduct it. But the rise of social media has been more or less not necessarily the actual right. act mm -hmm. of voting itself, but the rise of social mm -hmm. media, the influences of social media, big tech, in that regard, I think does deserve the well, information. Well, that, that's there, my point, yeah, really. Exactly. Is is there any bipartisan legislation that you're involved in yeah. that would 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 address this? We're working. You, yeah, that we're working on it in the sense that here's the concern. And I think what we're trying to do, and we're getting ready to start this, and in fact, it's an interesting conversation because we just agreed with David Cicilline, who's the uh, subcommittee chairman, on having what we're calling tech hearings. And I mean, and discussion on how we deal with privacy, how they deal with the antitrust aspects, and then how we deal with, uh, like, really dealing with newspapers and how the, the ad dollars done. This is going to be an issue that we're going to have to deal with, I think, in the sense of how these social media platforms, how they regulate what they do, and it not be a political bias one way or the other. If they do, then they're getting away from that, what I'll call the safe harbor that they've had to just sort of put it out there for everybody to view. The question becomes, whether it be election process or it be just everyday events, is are they simply a billboard or, or the old uh, court board of the world where I can put my event, you'll put your event, but now is there a, oh, okay, you can put your event, but we don't like yours as well, so we're going to put your event so, over the top. That's why the investigation is important. I, I'm sorry. So no, that, that's the reason I asked you about Georgians. We, we know that, that presumably this has been a red state for a long time. We mm -hmm. know that Russians now, we know unequivocally, uh, are targeted in social media, mm -hmm. conservatives, Republicans, with messaging mm -hmm. that attacked uh, Democrats, uh, that in many cases spread falsehoods. What would you tell Georgians about when they go on Facebook and see some harsh attack on a Democrat that they, would you tell them to be skeptical in some case? Would you tell them they need to do more than just take that message and pass it on to their friends? Well, I'd like to tell them to, to take a skeptical view of a harsher attack on a Republican as well. Oh, sure. It doesn't sure. matter Absolutely. You know, which party. I think what we've gotten into here is, is there's this becoming more and more of a belief of you know, there, and it's a transition period. From my generation, at least I think we sort of talked about it sort of, was the old Walter Cronkite, you know, generation. You know, we came on three channels at night, you got the one news, and there was not as much question. I think Vietnam started that process, but now we've gotten to the part where 
it, it becomes what do we believe? And I, and I heard an interesting discussion about this the other day. I was talking about fake news. And, and look, I'm one who believes that the media is very important to what we do. And that's why I come on the shows. That's why we discuss it, because I believe people need to know. I would rather them hear from me than a Facebook ad. And so, but the question becomes is, how are we making sure that people are willing to look beyond their own opinion? And, and this is for members of Congress as well. I believe that it is my job to look at other people's opinion because I don't become better in what I do. I may disagree with somebody, but I'll at least understand where they're coming from and then maybe we can find common ground, maybe we can't, but at least I can't just simply say, I disagree with you because I only stay in my little corner of the world and I only believe X coming from me. Okay. Jim, why don't you get a question okay. before we have to take a break? Yeah, yeah. just, I mean, yeah, I understand the, about getting, the part about getting outside your own bubble and, and listening mm -hmm. to other people, but do we have, I mean, but in, in St. Petersburg, Russia, you've got the Internet Research Agency. Yes, you should it's say. a building that is just <laughs> stuffed with trolls. Now, is there anything that, that, is there any legislation, anything that the federal government can do so, so those trolls don't yeah. have access to our dialogue? Well, I think that's going to become the bigger issue on how we deal with that. Because, look, one of the, some of the most interesting conversations I ever had was with Facebook itself on that very issue right there. But then you have this, this discussion. How much are out there are bots and these things that on your Facebook page, and if you have a million followers, how many of them are, are what we'll call true accounts or not true accounts? And then, do we want the government or others in here saying, well, if they don't meet X required, we're going to make you block them or move them out? That's when we start getting into this issue of, you know, who's being censored, who's not being censored. Why does it seem like that the more liberal point of view is always coming up mm -hmm. on the top of the Google search? Or if there's something bad about a Republican, why is it in the top? You know, these are, and I've had these conversations with Sundar, who is the CEO of Google, and, and, we, and he says, look, algorithms are a basis of where we start, and, and they, they do reflect, uh, I won't say the biases is what he would say, but they do reflect you know, what they're trying to get at. The question is, is do we now have these super large companies that can be influenced from the outside on their own platform, which I don't think they ever thought about when they started, how do we then make sure that it's an even platform? Let, let me, before we have to get to a break, let me change the subject, but we're going to end up in the same ballpark. <laughs> um, right now, as you know, the White House has basically advised all of its people to not comply with either requests or subpoenas to appear in front of, of some of the committees that are looking for them, your committee uh, being one of them. Oversight is now looking, it looks like Elijah Cummings next week is going to uh, hold a vote. That'll eventually uh, come to the. It comes to the floor eventually, I assume. Well, not if the Democrats if, have their way next week. Um, that's an interesting point. Uh, the Democrats are trying to short circuit the actual. You know, it's always been if you have a contempt, you bring it to the floor, you vote right. contempt, and then it's taken over by our legislative affairs, which is a group of the leadership that then take it to the civil. It's three two, and that vote Democrats would have the three over the two. What they're wanting to do now is just allow the committees just go straight to that committee and bypass the transparency so, part. Thank you. So what they're going to vote on is whether to hold uh, Wilbur Ross mm -hmm. and the Attorney General in contempt for refusing to comply with subpoenas to come and testify about the census citizenship question. Now, we won't get into the census citizenship question right now, but do you have any concerns about whether or not uh, you're abdicating the responsibility to be a separate equal branch of government when the Trump administration decides we are going to essentially ignore the, all of the Democratic requests in Congress. It strikes me they're not just ignoring the Democratic requests. 
They're ignoring Congress's role as a co-equal branch of government. Does that worry you? It worries me only to the extent of this is uh, being under both a Trump administration and an Obama administration. I have watched uh, under the Obama administration this slow walk of documents and, and, and is, is, it goes on all the time. I, I remind people all the time, this, there's, a, there's a dance that goes on between the executive and the, and the congressional branch. It always has. This is heightened up because of some of what we have seen through this investigation and what the president has perceived as unfair treatment and harassment, as he's called it. But what is not reported is there's not nothing coming from the administration. I mean, even in our own committee, uh, Chairman Nadler did this, you know, chaotic uh, 81 letters to 81 people, and literally thousands of documents were being produced by by folks that they had uh, sent these letters to, not under subpoena. We've had others come in from uh, on our committee on the uh, migrant issue and the and the border issue. There are things happening that's just not reported. What's not coming to the committees and what is being held up on some instances is an overbroad request, a request that basically takes into things that they can't give. I'll use the prime example of Bill Barr you know, to give information from the Mueller investigation that he legally cannot do. So it's not just as simple as that the administration is not complying. What really makes me know that the chairman also understands this is after they held Bill Barr in contempt, after we had that disastrous hearing for them, about two weeks ago, he writes a letter to the DOJ and says, you know, we were thinking about this. We want to have some to to talk to you about getting documents. Um, right. And then they sent right. back and said, "You charge us with you. You yeah. find contempt. Yeah. Take contempt off. We'll be happy to." So he knows he's in a bad place. He knows he's being overbroad. He's not asking properly in the way to get it. And so I think the American people, depending on which part you hear, Trump's administration is doing nothing, or that Trump is doing something. I think it's the problem is is for anybody. Look in the middle. Find the actual solution. All right. I got to get to a break, no uh, I, and I know we only have you for a, a short time after that break. So thank you, Doug Collins, uh, Jim Galloway. When we come back, first question is yours. This is Political Rewind. We'll be right back. In many areas, flood insurance prices have gone up dramatically over the last decade. Everybody would love flood insurance if they can afford it, but there's not a person I know back behind our store community that was affected by this flood that can afford it. And they're all hardworking, good people. That means some people hit by spring floods in the central U.S. are facing huge losses. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. It's 4 till 7 today on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. Are you thinking of getting rid of your old car, truck, or RV? GPB's vehicle donation program is here to help. Donating has never been easier. We'll take care of everything, including free pickup of your vehicle. Just go to gpb.org slash cars or call 877-GPB-1-CAR. That's 877-472-1227. And thanks so much. We're back with uh, Congressman Doug Collins uh, and uh, Jim Galloway. You know, Jim, one of these we should always point out, you, you covered uh, Doug Collins when he was <laughs> a member of the legislature. And he was always a guy in, in the legislature who Democrat, they, he worked well with the other party. Now he's in a situation where bipartisanship is a, a rarer and rarer breed, and yet he's found some ways to do that. I think he sat pretty closely to Stacey Abrams. Yeah. If, we sat if, next to each other for a long time <laughs> yeah, on the committee. Yeah. yeah, we sure did. 
Yeah. Uh, well, if, if we can, d d d d we can talk more about Washington, right? I'm, I'm hoping. Talk it's, whatever. It's, yeah. Okay. The last in the last 48 hours, we've had a, a development come out of the White House, or mm -hmm. or, or out of out of uh, DHS uh, that Fort Benning is being considered mm -hmm. as a as as a repository for 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 some of these thousands of children that, that have been uh, that have been uh, uh, taken into custody at the at the US border as their as their parents are seeking uh, amnesty mm -hmm. uh, what do you know about it is that a, is that a real proposition yeah I think what's happening is they're trying to find any solution you've hit on something that is you want to talk about a real crisis at our border it's not a crisis in this country is not the Mueller report you it, were just down there I was just down there last week at El Paso I was down there the night 1100 walked across uh, the Rio Grande about a mile from where I was staying. 1,100, that's four times larger than my high school uh, class, graduating class. What we're trying to do is, is find a, a way to solve this crisis on the because right now we're too, uh, it's just a perverse incentive to come. I put out a bill that said, let's fix Flores, which by the way, the Obama administration wanted to fix. This was the detention piece, that 20 day piece. The mm -hmm. asylum standard, right now, if they come in and claim asylum, 90% will get to stay on that first credible fear, but when they, if they come back to the asylum court, 90% are rejected. So there's a problem here, we gotta fix this. And then the third one is trafficking victims, which means that if a, a eight-year-old walks across the border and is from Guatemala, we cannot send them right back. If he was from Mexico, we could send him right back, or Canada, we could send him right back. The Democrats have no proposal here. So I'm challenging, my challenge to the Democrats is on these kind of issues here, is put something out here. We may disagree, but it is, it's derelict of your duty not to at least say, how would you fix our border situation? And last week we passed the Dreamer Act, which is mm -hmm. another just green light for people to say, if you get here, it'll be okay. This is a Democratic uh, bill, which yep. you spoke out very strongly against yes. on the floor, that uh, would provide a path to citizenship for maybe two million, uh, two million. Uh, 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 children growing up in, in this country. Not just two to three million, and that's a larger number because it takes into account Dreamer. Uh, yeah. they, they did the Dreamer, not DACA. DACA received, we could probably solve that, and if we actually could attach some abortion security, that would probably been a bipartisan bill. Last year, there was a bill, at Steny Hoyer, sort of funny, the majority leader now, came to the floor while we were doing this debate and said there was a bill that was one vote away from being you know, took on the floor and it was a bipartisan bill. And I got back up after and I said, and he had sort of, he said, so spare me, he said this word, spare me this indignity. And I said, Mr. Leader, spare me the work. Why didn't you just bring that bill up instead of writing this bill to the left, which will never get into to law. But what it did do also, there's a part there that nobody's talked about. It had TPS. These are temporary protected status. They come from events in other countries in which we will take in people because their country is under turmoil. Hurricanes, earthquakes, war, those kind of things. Some of the ones that we just, inside that same bill was a, a, a pathway or a green card for all of those in that, those areas, some of which came under TPS like in El Salvador from 1999, I believe it was for hurricanes, earthquakes. At a certain point in time, they should have come here temporarily. We've protected them, helped them, got them, and then got them back mm -hmm. to their country. This is why our immigration system is so broke. I'm a Republican who believes DACA should be fixed. We should provide for these kids who were brought in uh, mm -hmm. without any of their knowledge. But in the same bill, we also rewarded the parents who brought them here. Is, are, are, are Democrats in the same box that Republic, House Democrats in the same box that House Republicans were in for, have been in for so long that that it's poison to yes. reach out to the other side to, oh. to work on a, to work on a, on a Immigration bill? I think a little bit it is because here, here's the thing. I firmly believe that there's there's issues on our side, on the Republican side, there's issues on the Democrat side. Some saying that we got too much immigration. I don't believe that. You got some on the other side that have boxed themselves so badly in on the Democrat side that ICE is bad, that the court, border agents are terrible. Look, that's got to stop. 
Okay, they're simply doing their job. As one of the border agents looked at me last week while their own station was overrun with 900 people living there, he said, look, we're doing our job, do yours. And we've had Democrats block 4.9 billion, I think it was in aid, to just get these more bed spaces. So mm -hmm. you have to look at Benning, you ask about Benning, they're having to look at alternatives because we can't get the aid and they run out of money to keep these folks because they're just coming across in such <clears throat> record numbers. You know, what, one of the things I, I hear when, whether it's uh, you or a Democrat, whether it's the Georgia legislature, whether it's Congress, is the uh, ever-growing bunkerization, if you want to coin a term, and I hate that. So, that, so that the ability to really work to solve problems becomes more, it almost, it, it feels to us as observers, as citizens, uh, like an impossibility. And, and I think a great example of that is, is the fact that it took, what, seven months to pass the emergency relief measure that would help Georgia farmers who are desperate, help uh, those in other parts of the country who've been uh, uh, victims of natural disasters. And you know this as well as anybody, the American people look at that and say, what's going on? And they have every right to be. And because I'm as frustrated as not. One, seven months, the disaster money should have come, we should have got it done, instead of saying, oh, while we're here, I use the old Rahm Emanuel, it can, you never let a crisis go to waste. Well, all of a sudden, because this is off budget, we said, well, let's stick Puerto Rico on here, let's stick this other stuff on here. And then all of a sudden, we had another disaster later on. We had more flooding, we had the, you know, I'm in the Air Force Reserve. They were moving money from our training uh, for this uh, cycle. In fact, we have guys in my units who can't do some of their uh, training because we were taking every piece of money we had to send it to Tyndall and to Offit. This is just wrong, and, and it's wrong on, on both sides. We've got to get a point where we actually have in our budget a rainy day fund, if you would, so we, we know these disasters are coming instead of having to do them like we are. This is, this is David Perdue. Say, Senator Perdue. Was. David, well, yeah, we, look, the whole rewrite of the budgets we've got to have. I mean, this is something that many of us have been saying. But let me go back to something. Yes, right now I'm in a very probably uh, partisan position. Yeah, you look about as partisan as it gets, and don't it, you, in judiciary? Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> but my, my tenure in Congress and my tenure in the Georgia legislature was marked with bipartisan work right. on big bills. Right. I believe it is up to legislators and, and that we have forgotten in Washington, D.C. that our job is to legislate. Our first and foremost job is to go to D.C., look at ideas, find ideas, listen to our constituents, and look at legislation that can fix that. That doesn't mean that we leave our partisanship at the door. You take your values with you, but you find areas of commonality because at the end of the day, it's about helping people. We've got to help our country raise our gaze. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to fight. That doesn't mean that we're not going to time when I think my chairman is going it wrong and you're going to see me. By the way, we did buy a popcorn machine, too, if you want to come up and get that. <laughs> uh, you know, we're going to have that. But I, I look at my career, and I've had the Cloud Act, which is international data pri privacy that we've worked with law enforcement on. That was a huge bill we got into the, to the uh, omnibus spending bill last year. We did Music Modernization Act, which we talked about earlier, which is a rewrite of the Copyright Act. We did the Criminal Justice Reform, which was a speaker. Those were all bills that I worked on and passed either out of the House with minimal no votes or unanimous votes. Going back over time, we worked on trade secrets. This, our state is, is amazing with our trade secrets and, and the companies that are growing here. Intellectual property, this is the kind of things that I want to be working on. Do I want to continue this path down of fighting about everything that comes on, especially from that? No, but we're also not going to back up because here's the deal. The reason I wrote that letter about our parliamentary inquiry, it may seem arcane to people out there. Why can't you just say that he committed a crime? Because at the end of the day, our system functions only as good as the ones who are willing to stay within the rules and function properly. We're still having this problem. Look, 
We know that President Obama, at a certain point in his administration, said, I can't work with Republicans in Congress. We know that President Trump has been uh, uh, aggressive in refusing to work with Democrats and beyond not working with him, is insulting to them pretty regularly. And some Democrats fire right back. It's an unfortunate situation. But the problem becomes that when, when you or a Democratic counterpart start talking about how you want to solve a problem, I think Americans are tuned out to what you're saying and are thinking, oh, that's because he's a Republican. He wants to support the Republican agenda, and it isn't about the real issue itself. It's a terrible problem. It is. Look, I, would rather, I told somebody the other day, I said, immigration, at the end of the day, gonna be, it will finally at some point come to it. And it may be 100 on one side vote against it, 100 vote against it on the other side, but 218 in the middle, it'll pass it. And if I'm part of that 218 with a bill that I believe actually worked, and the people of the 9th District, you know, disagree with that and want to have somebody else, fine. I'll go home and fish with my beautiful bride and we'll have a good time. <laughs> but I think what we've got to do is look beyond this part and, and say, and look at those of us who, who have crossed that out. We know how to do it. Um, and work at, look, for most of us on the Republican side, and still to this day, the president, if met, halfway in a, a beyond some of these investigations that have now tainted the water a great deal. When they look at that, this president was probably more willing to work with and have more ideas with Democrats than he probably did on some of our issues. Can you believe that, frankly, that Speaker Pelosi and others will not, I mean, he, the president himself put a two trillion, trillion dollar infrastructure package and said, let's work toward this. A Democrat in any other era would have said, let's get on it. And instead, we've now had a backing way saying, well, Mr. President, show us how you're going to pay for that, which from a conservative Republican standpoint is laughable. You're having a Democrat now say you want to have to pay for the infrastructure process, but it's because they don't want to give this president a win. The president actually put Franklin on DACA two years ago. Put a, you talk about putting a like shiver through Republicans who have been trying to deal with this on border security. He said... I'll give you the number that you want. Let's do it tomorrow. But he wanted wall money, and, and, and his Democrats felt. No, uh, and then, but, but a and, balance. And, give me wall. And, give, and, and then Stephen Miller got involved. Yeah. And, well, and, we, and and that didn't happen. And when kept, but think about this. What's wrong with that? If you want to fix something like a DACA issue or something, say, okay, we'll legalize these paths, but we need border security for somebody who's been there. What's wrong with it? So That's I, called compromise. When do we lose that? I want to make sure I understand this. On infrastructure... Uh, it was interesting to hear your uh, uh, take on that. I mean, it, it's true, the leadership, the Democratic leadership in the in the House went to see the president. They said, yeah, let's do this infrastructure bill. Yep. My understanding is the White House said, great, let us see where we can find the money for it. Come back next week and we'll figure it out. And it was at that next meeting that presumably the president suddenly got very angry because Pelosi had made a comment that he didn't like. And, and walked out. So yeah, there, there was no presumption. It was, I mean, the pre President Trump said, you can either legislate or you can investigate. Yeah. But if you want to legislate, right. you're going to have to drop the, the investigations. Well, in so it goes way, both ways, but, but, doesn't but in, it? But in, in such a way, when did we start detaching humanity from a president? When did we do that? I mean, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong in the sense of everything, every president from Bush, Obama, but if you are getting ready for a meeting in which you've actually laid a proposal, whether it's fully developed or not, you need Congress to put it in development, and then you have the, the uh, basically the, the Speaker of the House 20 minutes before he come, she comes to see you on national TV say that you're corrupt or that you've... That's going to attempt a reaction. That shows non-good faith. So, I mean, to simply just say that the president blew it up because of, you know, that, no, I think there's got to be both sides here. All right. And, I, uh, I know you have to leave in a minute, but I want to give you a chance. Uh, if, if we can get to, can, I, can we get to a couple other quick issues? No, no. Sure. All right. Number one, 
Uh, is Georgia in play in the 2020 presidential cycle? I think it's going to be tight. I do not believe it's in play. One of the things that's often overlooked, and I talk to national reporters that come down and say Georgia's changed. It has in some areas, and I think the 6th, the 7th congressional districts reflect that. But remember, everybody at times thinks that Georgia was Mississippi or Alabama, these 70% you know, margins for Republicans. If I'm not, and I'm pretty sure on my facts, 50, it was in 2006, Sonny Perdue's first reelect. When he's reelect, he got about 58% statewide in a contested mm -hmm. race. No other statewide Republican has gotten that in a contested yeah. race yeah. is that high. The closest has been 53, 54. Those were Nathan. Some of the Senate races, Johnny's, a, but they've not, but we've never went higher in a truly contested race. Yeah, yeah. Gen generally, generally in 2014 and 2012, the, the, the winning margin for statewide it, Republicans was about 57, 58 yeah, percent. Yeah. It was no higher than 53 But not on the high. top end of that. Nathan never got 57, Dill never got 57. So you've Nathan always got, seen Georgia. So to me, it's being, always been closer right. than it than is, is, so is, I think that's the interesting issue. Is, is HB 481? Good for Republicans in the 2020 cycle or bad for Republicans? The bill the, the that about outlaws abortion essentially in Georgia. I think from a conservative perspective, it's a, it's a bill that it should not have been a surprise to anyone in, in the state. I think it, it, it will play uh, well in some areas. In some areas, there'll probably be some concerns about it. I think the way it is discussed and the way it's talked about, you know, from a, not just a simply if we focus only on the the issue of abortion and, and is it just abortion and making our statement on life, but is it compassion about the mother? Others and those who are going through this, and the compassion about children and adoption. You know, how do we relay this message from a conservative value? I think that's what yeah. the Republicans are going to have to do. I don't. I didn't deal with the bill that much, but that's oh, no, what of I course not. What, what, what are Republican chances you think of 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 retaking the sixth and holding on to the seventh? I think the six, there is a good chance because now Lucy McBath, uh, who has now come to Congress, has to do something she did not have to do when she ran against Karen the first time, and that was actually have a record. Yeah. And she's now mm -hmm. come to Congress and she's voted, even on her singular issue of gun control, she voted against a motion to recommit that I had, that which she said, no, if an illegal alien who should never have a gun to start with, uh, if they try to, my amendment said, well, we just need to report them to ICE. She voted against that. I think that's a little bit contradictory in what you know her, mm -hmm. her record is. You go back into like this past week on Dreamer, she voted again, uh, against in committee. She voted against amendments that would have uh, strengthened the gang and, and criminal provision. So I think I think there's a good chance in the sixth. The seventh will be the first real fight. Now look, the seventh was closer the last time than it should have been. But Rob Woodall's campaign was not as vigorous as you're going to see this time in the Republican mm -hmm. campaign. You're going to have well-funded uh, Republicans uh, in that campaign who are going to run very vigorous campaigns. Mm -hmm. And the Democrats are now going to have to deal with, do we uh, renominate somebody who lost, or do we have a vigorous you know, fight in ourselves? So I think, we can, I think we can keep the seventh. Will it be tough? Yes. I thought the seventh actually was going to be harder for mm -hmm. us this past year than the sixth was because Karen is a veteran fighter. And you endorsed her again. I have. Not, we did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, because we view it more from a, she got a half a term, is a, and for many of us, Tom Graves, and many of us is an incumbent kind of cycle. Not to, to discourage anyone, but we know Karen in the fight that she had, and we were invested in that. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see the seventh will be close, but I some to do a quick deep dive. There were a lot of voters in like Forsyth County vote actually was turned down. Even with Lieutenant Governor being on the ballot from there, we saw some decreased turnout Republican. We actually lost two pre Rob Woodall lost two precincts in Southern Forsyth County. Yep. Anybody would have said that would have been, but I think it's also a reflection of the campaign at the time and also a reflection of the governor's campaign. Um, and that's not going to be involved in it. Stacey Abrams had a, a very determined plan in these metro areas and suburban areas that worked. I don't take that away from her. But I do remind her she lost, and that is time to get over it. But it, it is, it, no matter what her plan was, 
we still kept the seven. So I think when you see that Trump voter come back out in Forsyth County, which we could actually see, there is a Trump voter in conservative districts like mine and the seventh and others, just as there was an Obama voter as well. Mm -hmm. And so we'll see how that <coughs> comes out. Final question. Uh, as you well know, some of your Republican colleagues on the other side of the building over at the Senate are uh, cautioning the president that they very well might take a stand against the 5% tariff on Mexico, which presumably goes into place on Monday. Where are you on that? Look, the tariffs, it's been interesting. The president mentioned that last week. It's someone coming off the border and seeing you know, African nationals coming through, others coming through. They've been in Washington all week and, and coming closer to a plan on things that they could do to lower the influx coming in. Um, and we've not even had the, that go into effect. Even if it goes into effect for a short amount, there's at least got them to the table to discuss something that's not been, tariffs are not good. We don't need to be doing that. We shouldn't be leading with tariffs. But if tariffs get attention to get action on another thing without having to go forward, then I think that is right. a good thing. I just wish the Senate would take up stuff like uh, border control. I wish the Senate would take up some other things as well that we're trying to work on uh, in addition to uh, the other things that they're not working on. Congressman Doug Collins, it's a pleasure to have you here. I, I want to, real quick, tell you that, uh, and Jim, you know this, one, one of the reasons I asked you about the bipartisanship, the lack of bipartisanship, is one of the things that we really value on Political Rewind is uh, bringing people of differing positions together and really talking respectfully about issues and listening to each side. And um, that matters a lot to us here. And um, if we have somebody from one side on one day and somebody from the other side there, we always get pushed back from our, why did you let him talk? <laughs> but I appreciate the fact that you were here and I hope you feel we gave you an opportunity to get your views across to our listeners. Look, when someone steps foot in the political arena, they have given themselves up to say that uh, your life is to serve people. And I believe that. And that means that some are going to disagree and some are going to agree. The problem that we have to avoid is determining that the person that you disagree with is not evil. I never thought in my life that President Obama was evil. I disagree with his policies. I would never um, thought, but if, when we get to the point to where we're attaching that kind of stuff to our opponents, then it makes it easy to understand why you're mad at each other. Yeah. We've got to just get back to the policy and say, let my idea be one in the marketplace, and I'm willing to do that. Well, thank you so much for uh, being with us, uh, Doug Collins. Um, Good luck in the wars in Washington. <laughs> We're going to let uh, the congressman go and Jim Galloway, and I'll be back in just a moment. My name is Chuck Reese. I'm the editor of an online magazine called The Bitter Southerner. I've seen decades of misconceptions about the South from the Beverly Hillbillies on down. But in my new podcast with GPB, we're going to challenge those stereotypes and paint a very different picture of the American South. Join me for the Bitter Southerner podcast. Details are at bittersouthener.com. I'm Ira Plato. This week on Science Friday, treatment options for late-stage cancer can be limited, but new health may be on the horizon, coming from existing drugs. Plus, it's one of those mysteries of physics, the quantum leap. Have researchers managed to spot a jump in the act Saving Schrodinger's Cat on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Today at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org.
You know, Jim Galloway, it, he, uh, Doug Collins said something to us during the break that I think is true. Uh, we're finding increasingly that there are, there are uh, elected officials who really don't want to go on shows with journalists because they just want to be able to stick to their message. And uh, he's one of those guys like a Johnny Isaacson who is willing to get in the arena. I appreciate that. Right, right. Johnny Isaacson, uh, you can you can find a, a, a few Democrats. Uh, well, Stacey Abrams is 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 has been up until uh, up until November was was very accessible in that in that that fashion. The one thing I, I would say that that really struck me about uh, our session with him this after the, the, today was was that was that his 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 message was actually very similar to to every Democrat that I see on cable television news, which is we're about other stuff other than the Mueller report. Yeah. We're about stuff yeah. other than Trump. We're doing this, that, and the other because I think there's a there's a joint realization that on both sides that that people are getting a little impatient. Well, isn't that why Pelosi went ahead and passed this uh, uh, bill, which would create a pathway for citizenship for two million right. or more people? Exactly. Because she can then turn around and say, look, we are legislating. She'll let it, it'll die in the Senate, but she will be able to say we're working yeah, we on can, other yeah, issues. This is, it's, it's the we can, we can walk and chew gum at the same time yeah. argument. Well, it was interesting to hear his uh, take on a lot of this. Hey, let's turn to uh, something that happened in Atlanta last night. Of course, I asked uh, uh, the congressman whether or not HB 481 was going to have much of an impact, whether he thought it was going to have much of an impact on elections here. And um, you heard his answer. He said in some places it will, in some places it won't, which is quite right, obviously. Uh, but last night right here in Atlanta, uh, most people know by now, Joe Biden uh, took a big, big step towards changing his opinion on support for the Hyde Amendment. Let's, uh, let's uh, listen to what he said uh, to a group of Democrats gathered at a major fundraiser, and then we'll talk about it. Here's Biden. The fact of the matter is that women's right and women's health are under assault like we haven't seen in the last 50 years. And uh, we've seen state after state, including Georgia, passing extreme laws in clear violation of constitutional rights protected, including Roe v. Wade. If I believe health care is a right as I do, I can no longer support an amendment that makes that right dependent on someone's zip code. So, Jim, of course, the Hyde Amendment has been in place for quite a while now, and what it does is it forbids federal funding to uh, agencies that uh, have performed abortions. And like a lot of Democrats, including some of his competitors in the presidential arena, he's voted for it, but he's been more outspoken. For uh, look, he's 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 got a Catholic identity, and he's and he's been very true to that uh, over 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 a period of decades. Yeah, uh, and and this was a a swift change. Uh, even a day earlier, his campaign manager was 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 on TV saying that he still endorsed the, the Hyde Amendment. But this is look, this is a this is a a a, a fight that's been prompted by politics in Georgia. This yeah. is you can trace this directly to to HB 481. And I thought it was just it, it, it was it was it was 
there was a, a nice little contrast b between what what Biden was forced to do yesterday on abortion, and we had we had uh, Renee Unterman, a state senator from Gwinnett County. She's launching her uh, her her candidacy for for the seventh district to replace Rob Woodall in Congress, and she 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 carried that bill 481 yep. in the Senate only three months ago. She barely mentioned it in in uh, in her uh, debut. Yeah, which was surprising. By the way, just to go back to the to the Hyde Amendment. Just so if, if people aren't aware, uh, the Hyde Amendment kicks in every time they're talking about a budget. Every appropriations. Because, because you cannot pass an appropriations uh, measure without the Hyde Amendment kicking in. Watch out, you can't fund that agency in the budget that you and want. Right, and, and, and that's and, why other Democrats who are running for president have voted for it because they say, exactly, I got to swallow exactly. that to yeah. go along with getting the budget passed. Yeah, every Democrat, okay. every Democrat in the House this year, uh, in the U.S. House this year, will vote to endorse the Hyde Amendment because they've got to pass the budget. So go back to Unterman. It, what you just said is really fascinating because here's state like Georgia, next door Alabama, I guess Ohio, Mississippi, all of them have decided to do something the Republicans really haven't done in a long time. Although we've passed restrictions on abortion, Nathan Deal passed a, a, a restriction a 20 of week twenty weeks. Mm -hmm. You know that that was not not something that uh, the, the uh, uh, pro-choice folks wanted. But this becomes extreme to many people, and suddenly Republicans are back to saying, "Yep, we're willing." to take on these hot button social issues, which we've tried to avoid for a long time in, in terms of- uh, uh, They're willing in certain contexts, but right. you know, you now have Renee Unterman uh, right. in a Republican primary, uh, that, that position won't hurt her. In a general election, uh, it's going to be a very difficult hurdle. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a high bar now. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's, that's, why do you think she avoided it yesterday? There are people were telling us um, a couple of weeks ago She's going to run on this. Yes, but you had you had you had these two DNC events in uh, national national Democratic events in Atlanta on Thursday. You had a lot of national press involved, and you know d d editors like to like to like to get uh, two stories out of a out of a trip. You know that. Uh, so a lot of them were, were concentrating on races on the sixth and the seventh, uh, and and I, I suspect that Unterman didn't want to give them the pleasure. So can we talk changing subjects? I, you know, there's an awful lot we could talk about, but you just filed a column, which is now online at AJC.com, about, I think that you said it was the final bill to pass the legislature this, this past session. It was a Mary Margaret Oliver measure. People who listen to the show regularly know she's a regular panelist on the show. She kind of snuck something in at the at the wire. Tell it was it, it. it was uh, look. This was signed on the same day. This bill was signed into law by Governor Ken on the same day as the heartbeat bill, and what it does is it it uh, it it will give uh, 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 gay and lesbian couples parents uh, kind of uh, the, the non biological parent. It will give that parent access to custody in 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 any subsequent uh, courtroom. Uh, battle, whether it's divorce, whether there's a death involved, uh, it's uh, it, uh, it. Yes, it, was there was there. I don't want to say there was substitute subvert subs. Subterfuge. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but there was there was there was def, def, definitely subtlety, a, a, a restraint in talking about the LGBT aspect of this. It was it was kind of framed as a a bill aimed at step and protecting step parents. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and the, and the sponsor was Chuck Estration, a Republican out of Tukula. Yeah. So so Mary Mark, but Mary Margaret was rather 
I thought she sounded, oh, she when you quoted her in your piece, uh, rather proud of herself for, uh, without ta talking about it much, getting this right into law to help LGBT parents. Uh, what she said was, uh, transparency in the legislature is not always a top priority. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, let's go back to the president, for, uh, presidential campaign for a minute. Uh, you had Buttigieg was here. Uh, Cory Booker, uh, obviously Joe Biden, Beto O'Rourke was here, and I, you know it was interesting to me to think about the different ways in which they approach coming to Atlanta. So I thought the fact that Pete Buttigieg decided to go to Manuel's Tavern, nine a.m. institution, <laughs> was it that what time it was? It was? Nine a.m. No, nobody goes to Manuel's at nine. Nobody's no. at Manuel's at nine a.m. unless they're already there at eleven p.m. the night before. <laughs> See, I didn't realize that. But it seemed like exactly the right spot for him. Manuals, for people who don't know it, is an institution in Atlanta and has been for 60 or more years as the political gathering place for Democrats. It has a lot of Kennedy, Kennedy-esque atmosphere. Yeah, and I remember I can think of any number of Democratic presidential mm -hmm. candidates who we've gone to see there. But it seemed like exactly the right venue for Mayor Pete, the man of the people, even right. if there it was nine in the morning. O'Rourke, right. the, the night before, had held a, a kind of a little focus group with, with, with some select voters. Uh, he was down at Crog Street Market, right? Mm -hmm. Was right. one of his right. locations. Right, uh, I think Biden's appearance was probably the most controlled. Uh, I mean, he had he had he had limited press at one fundraiser, and then uh, and then uh, his his appearance at a at uh, at the at the uh, during the clip where where he made his abortion statement. Uh, but it was, uh, it, but uh, I, I've got to say, I didn't see any uh, I, I didn't see any uh, rejection of Biden among uh, Atlanta's uh, or Georgia Georgia Democrats. Uh, that that would lead you to suspect that that somebody else has got a better chance in the state. Yes, Theron Johnson was here, and of course, uh, our regular listeners know that Theron has been a big Democratic strategist, consultant for a long time. He's African American. He works with the African American community, uh, and he said on the show the other day that he thinks that you know Biden still has the inside track on African American. Uh, Atlanta City Councilman Faroki, who's been on the show, uh, he 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 his was the only endorsement that I that I that I that I caught. Uh, he's he supports. Uh, Buttigieg. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so we're going to watch that. I personally, I mentioned this on, I think, our show Wednesday. I'm, you know, and here we are, both political journalists. I'm finding it hard to really focus on this Democratic... I don't, I don't know where to put my, my vision. I don't know what to focus on. I, with the field this large, I'm wondering if I'm like most people out there, I'm just waiting till September, because it's that September debate where they're gonna have either t even, even tighter rules for who gets in and who doesn't. So we're gonna start seeing people drop out. I, I, I mean, these two debates that are coming up later on this Late month, June. where you'll have 10 and 10, 10 yeah. one night, 10. So how do we pay attention to that? Exactly. There's no Donald Trump who is going to be the focus of attention because of the tactics uh, that he employs, uh, his antics and that sort of thing. I don't envy any of those people trying to get our attention on these first two debates, and it's making it hard for me to figure out what to focus on myself. Right, right, and and it's and it's, right now. I think in the South, I think what you're seeing is this very interesting uh, fight, especially in South Carolina, yeah. between Kamala Harris, right. uh, the senator from from California, and and Joe Biden.
Right, and that's right. That's a, that's a place we can look very clearly. And in many ways, what happens in South Carolina between Kamala Harris and Biden, it, it's going to have a big impact on what happens here in Georgia. Right, and we, look, forward. we still don't know when Georgia's primary is going to be. Yeah, uh, why uh, don't we, by the because way? Because I think you've got a Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, who is, who is waiting to see how, 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 it might, how um, the timing might affect uh, the, the, the Democratic yeah, field. Yeah, but I keep hearing March 3rd, March 3rd. this super primary. California is going to vote on March 3rd. California is going to. That's going to create a really interesting dynamic to see how Democrats choose to move forward. Especially given that, that California, the voting in California starts February 3rd. Okay. We're out of time. We got a lot of time uh, in the weeks and months ahead to talk about all of this. Uh, Jim Galloway, thanks for being here. It was really fun to talk with you with uh, Doug Collins. Uh, that's it uh, for us. We're back on Monday at 2 o'clock. Wednesday at 2 o'clock, an hour with Michael Thurman, the historian. That's going to be fun. I hope you'll join us for that. Take care, everybody. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.